0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at LiveTheMessage.org. Praise God. Mark. Mark again this evening. I know we told, we looked at a few stories from Mark's gospel this morning, but um, a few more comments from Mark, and we're going to look at chapter 1. So while you're turning there, I just want to pray for a moment longer. King Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, that you're not just an idea or a philosophy or a doctrine. You're real. You're alive and you're here. You've so committed yourself to us, Lord, that whenever we gather in your name, you promise to be there. You promise to show up. God, it's our heart's cry tonight that you would do what you want to do, that you would have your way in this place. Even now, God, we just... We relinquish any right that we thought we had to control things or make something happen. God, we come before you open to what you want. We come before you ready, ready to respond to you, ready to yield. I do pray, God, that your word would be like a sword tonight that it would cut, that it would prune, that it would do the necessary surgery in our own hearts so that you could set us free to be what you say we are, to do what you've called us to do, to think how you say we should and to speak by your power. So, Lord, come near God, I'm not interested in giving a speech. I'm interested in declaring your word and depositing something real in the hearts of your people. So even now, help me to say what is in your heart and help your body, your household, to grab hold of it by faith tonight. God, even now, we just look for you. Make our hearts so aware <clears throat> of what it is that you're looking for in us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. I want to share a few words tonight, and then we're going to spend time here at the altar in prayer before God. And what I want to start with is something that I think I hope will help Um. I feel there's a great urgency in the moment that we're in to simplify things. There's a lot of... <laughs> in, in our culture, in, in the Western part of the world, and, and especially in Christian communities where, you know, where we experience an incredible amount of freedom and opportunity, uh, sometimes this can lead um, to a complication of things that's just not possible in other parts of the world. So, what I mean to say is that in, in some parts of the world today, it's illegal to follow Jesus. So, they can't have a beautiful building, they can't have even public worship meetings like this with electronic instruments and percussion sets, you know. <laughs> It has to be done quietly and it has to be done in secret and it has to be done in such a way that it doesn't even draw public attention. And sometimes we, I feel like we get trapped a little bit by the, by the freedom to draw public attention, the freedom to call people to our meetings, to promote them and advertise them, to put you know billboards and Facebook ads and things like that. And again, I i don't I'm not saying it's sinful, what I'm saying is that it it can complicate things in certain ways that make us think that that's necessary or that that's even foundational to what it means to follow Jesus or to be his people and that's really not the case, certainly God uses those tools and those opportunities to touch people's lives, and for that we're grateful. But my concern is that we better have clear in our minds and hearts what's essential and what's not. Compromise always begins by replacing something essential with something non-essential. It's a pretty simple formula, and it's repeated again and again over the centuries. I feel God would have us simplify things tonight and really get to the core of what following Jesus is about. So I want to look at Mark chapter 1 for just a few minutes because it's the first look we get of Jesus in that gospel. It's an introduction that begins with John who comes preaching a message of repentance. He appears to to Israel as a madman almost, you know, a, a wandering prophetic figure, dressed like Elijah, um, you know, eating locusts and, and honey, things found in the wild. He's not, he doesn't really fit into the cultural reality around him. He's not ceremonious. He, he doesn't follow protocols that the religious leaders had put in place. Partly out of a desire to protect the people from sin, I understand, but partly out of a desire to control stuff and make sure everything ran through them, you know so he's out there in the wilderness, untamed, unchecked, and he's troubling to the religious system because they don't know quite to do what to do with him. They go out to investigate, thinking that he's going to you know be a em- Be impressed with them when they arrive and maybe offer them special time, you know, to to explain how it is that his doctrine accords with Pharisaical law or whatnot. But all they they get when they show up is, you brood of vipers, (laughs) who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He's not playing their games. He's not trying to please them. He's not kowtowing to their religious majesties, as it were. You know, he's, he knows he's got a job to do, and he's trying to do it effectively. He's gathering disciples and crowds, onlookers, and he does no miracles. He performs no signs. All he's saying is get ready, right? Prepare the way. The Lord is coming. And he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he's dunking people in the Jordan. Have you ever seen the Jordan? I mean, I don't know if it looked then like it looks now, but it's not a super impressive thing. It's not like the Mississippi or something. At certain points, it's almost like a creek. Or how do they say it in Iowa? Do they say crick here? Yeah, okay. It's not impressive, it's... Part of it's super muddy. It's, it's not like crystal clear Bermuda waters or something. I mean, it's just like, oh, you don't get people in there. You know, like, he's calling for a repentance and for, and for forgiveness of sins and preparation for the arrival of the Lord. Jesus comes to him and he submits to that baptism, which has always been a, like a weird thing for me, why would Jesus submit to a baptism of repentance for forgiveness? Well, I don't think it's because he was guilty, but I do think it was because he was standing in solidarity with a prophetic voice, that he was endorsing that word that God had for his people, that he was affirming the truth of it because he knew what was coming. It's like in Israel's history when a prophet would always anoint a king. It, it's kind of the way it's happening now. The Lord Jesus submits Himself to the prophet John, who sort of anoints Him with water instead of oil, and then a dove lands on Him, and we're told, "This is My Son; I'm pleased with Him." In John's Gospel, we're int- uh, sorry, Mark's Gospel, we're introduced to Jesus in verse fourteen. And we get kind of like a headline statement that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. God's good news. The good announcement that comes from God. And the announcement's very simple. Again, it's uncomplicated. It's not cloaked in a lot of religious language. Jesus makes two affirmations and then two commands And this is the summary headline of everything that he has to say. The rest of the gospel of Mark is meant to unpack these four statements. The first thing he says is this, it's time. Or in our translations, the time is filled up to the brim. The time is fulfilled. You say, well, what does that mean, the time is fulfilled? Again, it's, it's kind of weird Nostradamus type prophecy. No, this is a statement about promises being made good on. The old covenant promises, the the ones given to Abraham, Moses, the ones given to Isaiah and Jeremiah, and Jesus is saying it's time. Now is the time when those promises are going to start being fulfilled. He's locating his work and his ministry in a chronology on a line of Israel's story, and he's saying this is it. The, the things you've been longing for, waiting for, praying about, reading about, now is the time. So he's making statements about promises being fulfilled. The second affirmation he makes is this. God's kingdom is at hand. The rule of God is coming near. That's a statement about, again, a specific prophetic promise being fulfilled. When God promised David in the Old Testament that he would seat one of his heirs, one of his sons on a throne and his kingdom would never come to an end, that he would build him a house and his rule would endure forever. There's a partial fulfillment there in Solomon, but as we all know, Solomon died and was buried and his rule did not endure forever. So everyone in Jesus' generation was aware another son of David has to come. And he has to establish God's permanent rule over his people in such a way that it will never cease. And you have other prophecies in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 9, where it says the government will be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus is saying that is this. God's rule is coming close. The time of the reign of David's son is here. And it's coming in through yours truly, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He's making these two announcements, which he'll unfold in the rest of the gospel. And there's two things only that he he commands people to do as a result of this information. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. I want to talk about repentance tonight. Because I think it's absolutely foundational for us as a people. It's what helps simplify things. Repentance, you know, and when I grew up, I think I equated repentance with feeling bad and apologizing. That's kind of the way I thought of it. Now again, I'm not saying that either of those things is necessarily wrong. You should feel bad if you sin. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't feel bad if you sin you should feel there should be a conscience issue there if there's a violation against god or brother or sister that's actually a healthy sign people who don't feel bad when they do wrong things we call them sociopaths right i mean that's it's not wrong to feel bad when you do something wrong it's actually how we're built it's called conscience it's called awareness the discernment between good and evil. We have that. It's built in. To ignore that is a sign of a problem. So I, I don't mean we should never feel bad if we sin. No, there's there's something healthy about that actually. And I'm not saying we shouldn't apologize. Of course, you should apologize. That's you know, like human relationships 101, divine relationships 101. When David sinned against God, he admitted it. So, God, I've sinned against you and you only have I sinned. Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's a, it's a prayer coming from the heart. It's an acknowledgement and an admission. It's a confession, right, and, and an acknowledgement, an apology, uh, a request for forgiveness. It's still appropriate. In New Covenant life, John, 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he's just to forgive us. Faithful, you know, from everything, because of his blood, it's, it's all right. Under the blood of Jesus, we, we, we have that freedom to come. And even now, say, God, I, I didn't do this right. Forgive me. And he says, yeah, you bet. It's, 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 it's a guarantee. It's a lock. As children, if we come with sincerity and honesty of heart, forgiveness, cleansing, it's it's a part of our inheritance in the new covenant. It's awesome. But having said that, I think that repentance is a little bit more full-bodied, if you will. It's not... It's not just an apology and it's not just feeling bad. Repentance has to do with the total reorientation of your life around a new center. Repentance is not so much an apology as it is a revolution. It's, it's a transformation in the way that you understand who you are and what you're for. In, in the ministry in, of John Repentance was accompanied by an exhortation, bear fruit. Legitimize your repentance. How? By living different. If you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he's a German pastor during the time of World War II, a key leader among churchmen who resisted Hitler. You know, much of the Christian church was co-opted by the Nazis during World War II. But Bonhoeffer and others led a movement called the Confessional Church. And one of the things that he would talk about is repentance. And he would say, listen, repentance is empty until it results in obedience. You haven't really repented until you've begun to obey. And the reason for that is that we're talking about a king here that has come. We're talking about the loving but still absolute rule of Jesus. And there's no negotiating that. There's no saying, well, yes, you're king, but I can't do or won't do what you're saying. Those two answers, you know, those two realities, they don't mix together. Repentance is an acknowledgement of the kingship of Jesus and therefore a reorientation of your life around his rule, around his authority, and listen, around his agenda. Repentance can't just be an apology. It might start there, but it has to result in a transformation. It has to result in you understanding and me understanding that our lives now have a new center of gravity, if you will. Something that is drawing us into itself. Something that is, is redefining who we are and what our lives are about. So we can't really talk about you know, a life in the kingdom without talking about repentance. And I would suggest to you, repentance is not like a one-time action that you take. A prayer at an altar where you admit your past sins and then you forget about it. Repentance, I would say, is a foundation of new covenant life. Isn't that what Hebrews 6 says? Like the, the foundations the laying out of hands, washings, repentance from dead works. It's like an elementary thing in the kingdom. Because it's a constant practice in our lives. Constantly turning to God. Constantly, you know, the root word of it means to turn away from something. The way it's used in, in many contexts is to, to, uh, to change one's mind with resulting effects. It has this idea... Of, of a, you know, like a, we talk about a one, people doing a 180, they're going a certain direction and they turn and now they're moving in the opposite direction. It has significant implications when we talk about it. My encouragement to you is to think about repentance as a daily realignment of our hearts, minds, and will with God's. So I'm not talking about like, oh, do I doubt that I'm forgiven? You know, do I doubt the power of the blood? No, of course not. If if I doubted all of that, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. I don't doubt the power of the blood. That's why I believe in repentance. Because the power of the gospel gives me the both the strength and the will to turn to God consistently, to turn away from self, to turn away from flesh to turn away from the world system and embrace the king and his agenda. I would suggest you guys it's a discipline, it's a practice, it's a habit that needs to be formed in our lives that is marked not only by just praying something to ask for forgiveness, but by a new way. See, Jesus doesn't say, Thank God John taught about repentance. I don't have to deal with that anymore. Actually, it's the first thing he calls for still. Even though John preached repentance to Israel, Jesus comes and preaches it again. Why? Because repentance never goes out of style, as it were. It's always right. It's always in order to repent because it's always in order to realign ourselves with God's will and God's person in any moment of time. There's an example that follows this announcement in Mark 1 with, in, in verses 16 through 20 where Jesus calls Simon and Andrew and then he calls John and James. Now listen, John's gospel makes clear that at least a couple of these guys were already followers of John the Baptist and that when Jesus came on the scene, he pointed them, John pointed them to Jesus and said, look, it's the Lamb of God and they transitioned and they gave their attention to Jesus, whereas they had been giving their attention to John. So it's probable that they knew who Jesus was at this point. But still, think about what happened in that scene. Jesus comes up to them. They're fishing. They're, they're doing the daily work. I mean, this is the family business. Anybody have a family business? Yeah? Own a restaurant or a farm or you know, maybe it's some kind of woodworking shop or something like that. You understand the family business, right? It means that as, as soon as you're big enough to, like, do something, you're involved. We have multiple friends in Chicagoland who own restaurants. And from the age of, like, nine, they're busting tables. You know, they're pulling tables. They're washing dishes. They just get integrated into the life of the business. Now, this is the, fi- the family business, and these guys, they're adults. So you know they've been at this for a while. James, John, Andrew, Simon. And Jesus shows up on the shore and they're in the boats and they're with their father. And he says, come and follow me. And that right there in the moment they have a decision to make. See, re- to repent means to realign your agenda and priorities in such a way that whatever Jesus says you do, no matter what the cost is, Had they repented? We're about to find out. How do we know if someone has repented? Well, do they come when they're called? Because here's Jesus calling them, saying, come and follow me now. Are they going to drop the nets? Or are they going to hem and haw and negotiate? You know, there's stories like that in the Gospels, where Jesus calls somebody and they say, oh, let let me... Bury my father first. Remember that story? Luke 9. Jesus calls a guy. He says, come and follow me. And the man says, let me, my, let me bury my father first, and then I'll come. Do you know what Jesus says to him? Let the dead bury their own dead, and then what? As for you, go and proclaim what God has done. Something to that effect. And he say, well, that's cool. Well, kind of. He had an opportunity to be with the master, and he forfeited that opportunity because he wouldn't come when he was called. He got reassigned. I'm not saying that happens to everybody, but it happens. Jesus called him, he got a personal invitation. He could have been one of the 12, for all we know. But he said, no, there's something else that's more important to me. And Jesus let him go, but gave him a different assignment. Can you imagine that what he passed up on three years of personal interaction with god and flesh because he wanted to bury his dead. guys the call to discipleship the call to follow jesus you know it doesn't come at your convenience it it's not subject to our whims it's not subject to our preferences We're not given the freedom to negotiate that call. We're we're given the opportunity to say yes or not. It's my conviction that repentance is what positions us to say yes to God's call. Because we're relinquishing the right to run our own lives. We're, We're relinquishing the right to object to anything God might say to us. It's why he says, Jesus, in the scriptures, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your wife, your children, even your own life, you can't be my disciples. Any English majors in the room? Huh? No? Okay. You know the difference between can and may, right? Is this a commonly known thing? Can I versus may I, right? My mom always would do this because I would say, Mom, can I go outside? And she would say, I don't know, can you? If you're ever wondering why I'm sarcastic blame it on my mother mom can I can I have a cookie I don't know can you see can expresses ability may I that expresses permission as say, may I go outside I'm asking permission can I I'm asking am I capable of it can I go outside of course you can but you may not you know it's like you can but you mayn't was the abbreviation in southeastern Wisconsin, you mayn't do that. M-A-Y-N apostrophe T if you're following along at home. You mayn't. See, there's permission and then there's ability. What Jesus says here is about ability. He says, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your, your wife, your children, you can't be my disciple. You're not able to do it. It's not about permission. It's about ability. You won't be able to bear it. And the only way that happens is a thorough repentance, a total realignment, so that what delights your heart is what delights God's, so that what you want to say yes to is whatever the master says. That's it. Yes, we, simplifying this is absolutely critical in this hour. I'm not a prophet. I don't, it's not a gift I have, really. Really? But I see that we're on a collision course with many different kinds of agendas in our, cult- in our cultural context. And if we don't get straight what ours is, it's gonna get swallowed up. Because the messaging and the, and the constant battery of agendas that are coming through every possible source of media and whatever, social media, pub- you know, cable news, all that, it's coming, it's not gonna stop. So if you're not clear on who's in charge around here, it's going to get more and more muddled. Repentance is what positions you to be absolutely crystal clear about who's in charge, who sets the agenda, whose priorities are meant to be embraced above everything else, and, and whose love is to be cherished when the loves of others fade and who we're meant to love more than others, and for that never to fade in our own hearts. These disciples were called to make good on their claims of repentance, and they did it without hesitation. Immediately they came. You can see that they repented because they were free. A lot of people in our culture would tell you, you don't have to repent, you're already free, but I tell you what happens. You live that way for a while and all the stuff that you should have confessed and apologized and reconciled with starts to control you more than anything else. There is no freedom without repentance. It's, it's the foundation of it. Repentance is liberation, guys. It is the renunciation of sin, self, you know, pride, flesh, death. It's the putting away of all that in order to embrace real life, real joy it's the confession of sin that liberates the soul it's 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 the realignment of our will with his that lifts the weight just totally lifts the weight when jesus said something you know this is matthew 11 he said look if you're if you're if you're tired if you're weary if you're heavily burdened come to me he said my yoke is easy my burden is light friends there's still a yoke and a burden But it's his. And as a result, it's his job to carry it. All you got to do is stick right there by his side. He's thinking of a team of oxen almost. Two of them that are yoked together. And it's like he's the ox that's really getting the job done. And you're just there. This is awesome. We're plowing. I'm not doing anything. You know I mean? Think about that language. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Listen, you can't stick in there with his yoke. You can't stick in there under that burden unless you've repented in a thorough and complete way. Because otherwise, if you really haven't repented, if you really haven't yielded and surrendered your agenda, here's what you're going to do. The first time you feel the the tiniest twinge of pressure pressure on your shoulders, you're going to start looking for a way out. That's just going to happen. You're going to start writhing around under there because you feel like it's uncomfortable. You're going to start thinking, you know, I'd probably be better off without this yoke. It's so restrictive. You know, you know I, I don't really have to have this burden. It's legalism. Anything we don't like, by the way, becomes legalism. Anything we don't want to do in obedience to Jesus, we cry out, legalism. No, he's the king. His ways are right. If, he, if he's calling you to do something, it's right. It's for it. It's for the advancement of his cause and the glory of his name and ultimately for your, in your best interest to do it. Yeah, but it's hard. Okay. And press into him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. It means you're doing it wrong. Not that you shouldn't do it. Hello? It means you're doing it wrong. Not that you shouldn't be doing it. So repentance requires the surrender of a personal agenda in order to pick up the agenda of the Lord. And, guys, that's always freedom. That's always freedom to carry his burden and to, pick and to be joined to his yoke. That's, that's not slavery. It's not manipulation. It's life. It really is. So we're going to come up to the front in just a second. When we do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring your Bible. I want you to bring something to write with in and in a piece of paper. Because here's what I'm going to invite us to be doing tonight. I want us to press into the Lord. I want us to be with him, before him. And I want you to pray. I want you to just be and rest and sit and listen. Because I think it's very important. I try to do this regularly in my own life. To to carve out a a day or something where I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to be alone with God, and I'm going to submit my life to him everything. For me, I start pouring it out on pages of paper. I'll take like half a ream of computer paper, you know what I'm talking about, printer paper, and I'll just start writing all the stuff that I, you know, there's a whole page for my marriage. There's a, there's a page for, for each kid. There's a page. For the teaching that I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. There's a page for the writing of th- things I'm supposed to write. There's a page for the school of ministry. There's a page for the church. And I'm just pouring out stuff. God, you see all of this. I want you to see it. As if he doesn't. you know. But for me, it's cathartic just vomiting all of this stuff out onto pages and pages, everything running through my mind, every relationship that I feel like I'm supposed to do something about, every person I feel like I'm supposed to contact, every responsibility that I'm supposed to follow through on, and it's just like, it usually takes me about three hours. And then when I feel like everything I could possibly remember is on those pages, I just move them to the side, I said, Jesus, I don't know what to do. I just want you to talk to me. Like, What is happening with all this? Because I can't do that. I need you. And I want you to speak to me. Here I am. I'm not saying all that's bad. Many of these things are good. Many of these things are gifts from you. I want to steward them well. But but more than that, I want to know, Lord, what's on your heart? What are you looking for? What should I do? What should I not do? Can you just... I just want you to speak. And in those moments, I'm not saying like it's, it's kind of angels flood floating in the. I don't not always dramatic, but sometimes there's just this clarity that comes, just a, a clear instruction or a clear word. You can't do that anymore. You have to put that away, pick this up, and run with it. Instruction, guys. What is repentance? It's Aligning ourselves with the agenda and person of Jesus. I want you to come up to this front tonight and wait on him and look for him. If the musicians could come, maybe just start playing here, guys. Something that just facilitates that. An atmosphere. And and for just a, a little while tonight, I just want us to be still before the Lord. And I want you to pay careful attention to things that might come to your mind. Impressions people's faces, specific environments or situations. You might see the inside of somebody's house. You might see a license plate, a phone number. You might see a, a, you know, a face. You might be reminded of a relationship that's not right. You might be reminded of something that's undealt with. I want you to write it down tonight. I encourage you, believe tonight that Jesus is going to speak. That by the Spirit, he is going to reveal to you with clarity and accuracy things that he requires for repentance to be thorough and complete. Is there anything in my life, this is what I encourage you to pray, is there anything in my life, Lord, that is not reconciled to you or your rule? Is there anything that is not reconciled to your agenda or your purpose? I want nothing in my life to be outside of your ultimate rule and purpose. So let's come just right now. Find a spot here at the front, on the sides, whatever you want to do. And let's just begin as a a family to be before the Lord together. And I encourage you, if there's someone in this room tonight that the Lord puts in your mind Go to them immediately. Take them out in the hall, or, or find a quiet spot in the room. If you've got to do business, with, come on, everybody, get up. Sorry, if I'm not being clear. Come on, let's let's move. Let's find a spot. Let's respond tonight to the King who is present. He doesn't just rule on a throne up in the sky. He's here. He's committed himself to be among us. Let's take some time in His presence. And let's ask him tonight as we start 2020, God, help me, let my repentance be thorough. Let there be nothing left outside of your rule. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.